0: CHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX
1: HD3 Boston. And on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now, 248-545-SOLVE. New SkyRadio.com. Believe.
2: What was the Braxton County Monster? Did the government or someone else cover up the incident? If so, why?
3: Hello there and welcome to the 386th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben and those intriguing questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So let's uh, get right to our guest. Well, it's hard to believe that it's been two years since
2: he's been on the show, but our good friend Frank Ficino Jr., author, illustrator, speaker and independent researcher, is back with us this evening. Frank grew up in Connecticut, as did I, and graduated from the prestigious Payer School of Art in Hamden. He also studied film and video production at Phillips Junior College in Florida. His interest in UFOs took off in 1990 when he studied crop circles that had appeared at a relative's West Virginia farm, and the frequent UFO sightings in the area aroused his interest as well. Frank then tackled the 1952 Flatwoods Monster, or Braxton County Monster, case that had occurred in the same area. He has become the major authority on that case, and often works with another good friend, nuclear physicist and UFO great Stanton Friedman. Frank's book, The Braxton County Monster, was the result of his research, and this has just appeared in a revised edition. He is also the author of Shoot Them Down, the UFO Air War of 1952, and Frank's website is www www.dot you know how many W's there are
3: All right, Frank Foschino, welcome back to
2: Behind the Paranormal.
4: Hi guys, how are you doing?
2: Boy, Great, that two years
4: bad. went by fast, didn't it? Yeah,
2: oh, yes. Yes, yeah
3: as you say, it's when you're having applies. fun, yeah, or when you're working or whatever. All right, so let's uh, kick kick this off and um, start with our first question here on the list. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the story of the Flatwoods Monster, uh, can you tell us the basics of it? Or, well, the Braxton County Monster. Can you tell us, can you tell us like the basics of the story?
4: Well, during um, 1952, uh, had the highest amount of UFO reports that were sent to Project Blue Book, who were in charge of investigating and evaluation of uh, UFO reports. And um, during that summer of '52, at the tail end of the summer, on September 12th, there was. Um, 21 hours of sustained uh, UFO sightings up and down the East Coast over nine different states. And there was a damaged UFO that had flown across Washington, D.C., and about 25 minutes later, uh, it landed in the small town of Flatwoods, and a bunch of uh, local kids had seen this craft fly over. And they went to the house of Kathleen May, whose farm, uh, her property bordered the farm. And subsequently, they went onto the farm to see what happened. And they ran into this 12-foot tall metallic structure. And it was dubbed the Flatwoods Monster, or Braxton County Monster, Phantom of the Flatwoods. There's about a dozen different names. But anyways, the story um, was the 10th biggest news story, in 1952. And considering there was a lot going on during that era, you know, the um, Truman administration, Truman was getting out. Uh, we had the Korean War, the Cold War, a lot of a lot of stuff was going on. And this story hit, and it was one of the few UFO stories that reached outside of the UFO circles.
5: Huh.
4: And um, it, it, the story was very botched up, one of the most screwed up stories I've ever read about in my life. I started looking into it as a, as a hobby, and then I uh, was going to start doing a film project on it in uh, film and video school here in Daytona Beach. And it just snowballed, and I'm over 20 years into this particular story now.
2: Snowballed in Daytona Beach, but I like that.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
3: That's our, okay. All right. So how do you know that the UFO, uh, scene else, uh, the UFO scene elsewhere on the East Coast, especially over Washington, was the same one that landed in Braxton County?
4: What I did is I was able to get my hands on the Project Blue Book documents for September 12th. And what's very interesting about uh, that particular film microfilm reel, uh, there was usually weeks of um, cases, you know, sometimes months of cases on one microfilm reel. And when I got to September 12th, uh, the majority of it was probably about 90% of it was the microfilm reel was just for that one day. And there was a few of them on the following day. What I did is I used the Project Blue Book data as my uh, backbone of the research. And I started pinpointing areas across nine eastern states where sightings occurred. And then I would uh, travel Uh, Throughout the East Coast, I would go to different libraries. I was constantly in touch with different librarians across the country. And what they did is they sent me or I obtained these different articles. And it was where these UFO sightings had occurred. And I had maps for each one of these individual states. And it started to get out of hand because I didn't realize there was that many. But in the long run, I was able to establish it was 102 locations. I started working with different military personnel, and we transferred all of the data onto one gigantic master map. And if you look at uh, my website, when you on the home page, come down a little bit, you're going to see a quick link going to my master map. Uh, this is where we had all the points plotted that were transferred off, over to different states. And to make a long story short, it was basically start connecting the dots. We had the data for the flight path trajectories. We knew what directions, we knew the times, uh, and the the whole ball of wax. And it was basically connect all these dots together. And what had happened is at uh, 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Savings Time on September 12th, uh, a UFO flew over Washington, D.C., and it was on a western heading, and when it came across Washington, at points going across the capital area, it was flying at treetop level. It continued west, and when it got over the Virginia area, I started connecting the points from the Virginia data, and uh, that was from uh, Project Blue Book newspaper reports. So it's basically just this thing continued west. I followed it all the way across Virginia into uh, Virginia into West Virginia. When it hit northern part of Braxton County, this object actually turned and it headed south and followed Route 4 and flew between the um, the mountains. It actually cut through and followed this particular area and headed all the way into the Flatwoods area. And there was two other objects that flew in within a short time of each other. Uh, The first object had flown um, on a direction heading southwest, and this object flew a few hundred miles and retracted actually going directly into the area of Oak Ridge National Laboratory. It flew nearly 100 miles through the no-fly zone, uh, which is quite a feat in itself. (laughs) You wouldn't want to try to do that if you were a pilot or restricted, um, military zone. The second object flew and it went in the opposite direction. It headed Northwest. And I tracked it going across Baltimore, um, into Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and into Ohio. And once you have these points plotted out, it's quite easy because you know the times it's just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, you you just connect the dots and, um, this thing f- flew within a few miles of right path in Dayton, Ohio. Now, what's interesting is the military fellows that I worked with, when we put all our time coordinates together, uh, it was figured out that when the first object flew towards Oak Ridge National Laboratory, the second one had come in shortly after. These objects were damaged. They had pieces falling off of them. They were flying erratically. They were pretty messed up. That is the key point here. This one flew, and it came just before going into the uh, right hat area towards Dayton. That is when the third UFO flew down the middle on a due west heading, and it flew over the Capitol. And the New York Times actually recorded a big article, and they called this uh, particular um, object the, fl- the flame over Washington. It was also carried by a Daytona paper, um, not Daytona, I'm sorry, uh, Boston glow paper. And what happened is when it flew over the Capitol and was not intercepted or taken down over the United States territory, it got a free shot and continued heading west towards Virginia. The other two that were going towards their targets, they stopped and turned and flew in the op- opposite direction and eventually landed and touched down. So you have one object putting pressure on one military installation, a second, the third one came down the middle, and the other two retreated and went back. And I was able to retrace this with the fellows I work with, and we recreated the whole scenario. what actually happened that night. And there was a fourth object that came in from the direction of Florida, went over the Carolinas, Virginia, and we actually tracked it going all the way right into Braxton County. And inevitably, the whole thing was a military search and rescue strategic operation. We had four damaged objects that came in over the United States, one from the south. We had three come over to Mid-Atlantic, and those were the damaged ones. The most severely damaged ones were the one that came in up from the south and flew into Braxton County, and then the third craft that came over to Mid-Atlantic. And that they are the two that eventually landed in Braxton County. Uh, the one that contained the so-called Flatwoods Monster. That's the one that actually touched down on the Bailey Fisher Farm. The other one had flown in and actually flew over that um, particular hilltop a few minutes before and retreated, went down back along the Oak River and crashed on the opposite side of the river. That is where uh, search and rescue operations uh, took place in Braxton County as well. So we had a lot of stuff going on um it's all documented in the book and what i did in this edition of the book is i have um the the locations and all the eastern states of the master using the master map as my data i give all the locations i give a breakdown of the different types of ufos that were seen um the, the different crash sites where they occurred so everything is backed up hundred percent, and in this edition of the book, I uh, basically redid the book myself. The okay, book. I'll have
2: to. Uh, we'll have to come back to that, Frank. We're coming up on a break here. Yeah. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benino on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, with our guest Frank Fusino. We'll be right back.
0: Discover your spirit. Listen to Spirit Guide Radio, where leading spiritual experts serve as guides to nourish your soul. Every weeknight from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. The Zodiac Girls with Solaris, Laura and Kira. Ask Dr. Doug with Dr. Doug Lear. PSI 911 with Katie, Rhonda and Christy. Life by Number with Celeste. And Your Reiki Journey with Heidi Harrison. Spiritually Speaking Radio for the Soul. Radio's The Sky Believe
5: used to the world Seas had rise when I gave the word, now in the morning I sleep alone Sweep the streets I
1: Yes, Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. NewSkyRadio.com.
2: Well, welcome back. And we have our guest, Frank Vecchino, who is uh, the author of The Braxton County Monster, which is apparently nothing of the kind. And we're talking about the the really zany occurrences on these particular evenings in 1952 when UFOs were seen all over the East Coast, particularly Washington, and Frank was saying how he traced it uh, to these areas in uh, two landings in Braxton County. And I was going to, now Frank, am I wrong, or the the mountaintop above that farm or the hilltop is very flat, is that correct?
4: Yeah, it's actually a big pasture, and I'll, I'll tell you something interesting, uh, I worked with a lot of the old-timers uh, years ago. I've been doing this for 20 years. But one uh, fellow, Jack Davis, who lived up in that area, he actually lived on, right near the farm. And one day he he took a we, he took a ride. He was driving me around the town. And he drove me up into the mountains a couple miles away from, uh, on the other side of Flatwoods, actually on the west side of Flatwoods, across from the turnpike that's there now and i had no idea we were going he pulled the car over we jumped out we climbed over a fence and we're walking across this big field i said, "jack where the hell are we going? where are you taking me?" and he said, "just come here and look." we stood there and looked east and he says, "look out, it is a couple miles out in the distance." he says, "look out across the horizon line, what do you see?" i see. "i see mountains, i see lots of trees." He said, do you see an area where it's flat and open? It looked like a bald spot on a guy's head. And I says, yeah, right <laughs> there. He that. says, Frank, that's where it touched down. That's mm-hmm. where it came out of the sky and touched down. He says, you think it was a coincidence? That thing just happened to land right there on that big patch of wide open area surrounded by mountains. Yeah. And that really hit home, seeing it from a, a different point of view. And that's what the old-timers did of working with me over the years, guys, as they took me around. We reenacted everything up there. Yeah. You know, I didn't sit behind a desk or on a computer. I know uh, West Virginia better than I know my neighborhood. I love West Virginia. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, Buzz yeah. got another question. All right. Uh, so, what were the effects on the eyewitnesses, or were there any illnesses that came from their experience, per se?
4: Um. When the, the witnesses got onto the farm, they noticed this um, irritating sulfur smell, and it was rolling down the hill towards them. What that smell was, it was like a, a, a foggy mist. It was some type of a gas, and it was actually from the propulsion system of the so-called Flatwoods Monster, which was basically, uh, it looked like a giant um, robot, but it was, it was a hovercraft. And the the pipes that went along the the lower circumference, uh, Freddie May uh, described them as about as thick as a a fireman's hose. Uh, We were sitting in his living room, and I was drawing sketches with him. And I remember he put his arm out, and he says, Frank, the pipes were about as thick as my arm, from my wrist to my elbow. And they went from the mid-portion of the body and then the lower torso all the way down, and they flared out. The monster, uh, the witnesses said, hovered about a foot to a foot and a half off the ground. So it was a hovercraft, and the the propulsion system, this was the exhaust that came out, and they inhaled this stuff, and that's what made them sick. Uh, Gene Lemon, who was up pretty close, he was standing right next to Mrs. May, to her right, and uh, they were about 12 to 14 feet away from this. He got a good whiff of this, and he was throwing up all night. Um, Ailey Stewart, who is the Johnny and the Spot reporter from the Braxton Democrat, um, I have an exclusive interview with him. And he was up to the house shortly after the incident happened. And he told me in our interview that when he walked into the house, everybody was coughing, everybody was wheezing. He says Mrs. May's eyes were as red as could be and bloodshot because she... That all of this, this sulfur-type gas had, you know, came up and they, they were actually standing in it, and it affected her eyes, but basically um, it was that sulfur smell. Uh, the kids were were caught up and bruised and banged up because they were climbing over the fences and between the, the slats in the fence to get the hell away from this thing that came out in front of them. But uh, that was the the main um, side effects. Mrs. May said that. She kept uh Freddie and Eddie out of school for about a week, and they had started developing some type of spots. She said they were brown spots on their bodies, and um she said the doctor gave them some type of an ointment that they rubbed on on their these spots that had come up, and they they eventually disappeared. Huh. She didn't remember what it was, though. It may have some type of a cream ointment antibiotic. She didn't remember. But it was basically, she, she said that her two boys stayed out for about a week.
3: Okay. Okay, so are there any experts who believe that this was actually a cryptid and not necessarily a UFO-related creature?
4: Uh, not the Not the people that I've worked with. Okay. This, this thing was a metallic structure. Um, from what the what happened, guys, is back in in 1952, when Mrs. May was was interviewed right off the bat by the different writers. Ailey Stewart was the one that broke the story to the, to the press wires. That's when it shotgun around the world. The first couple uh, articles that appeared. When Mrs. May was interviewed by Stewart, and he's the one who was reporting to the Charleston Gazette papers in the Daily Mail, Stewart uh, reported that the witnesses said this thing was metallic, and it um, also uh, resembled um, something that looked like a suit of armor, a man in, in a suit of armor, and... So we have this idea of what this thing looked like and it had a big gigantic uh, cowl going over its head that was shaped like the Ace of Spades. What that was was an outer helmet. The head was not actually a head. They described it to me as a, a big red helmet and the eyes weren't eyeballs, they were openings and they were porthole openings like something was in there. This thing was like a mask or a head covering And one time I was sitting talking with Freddie, and he said, it kind of reminds me of looking at a fighter pilot sitting inside of his cockpit wearing his helmet with the goggles. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the canopy was like the hood covering. That's what this thing was described as. You know, by the witnesses, this thing had this red head, an inner helmet with an outer helmet, and they all distinctly remembered there being a barrier like a glass-type shield covering the front of the face. The body flared out from the shoulders, and Freddie said it was about four feet across. You know, so basically it looked like a booster rocket. And off the plane to the shoulders, there were these um, little uh, things that looked like hands, and they were like antennas. There were these little uh, forked. Finger type looking things. What happened is the following Friday, after all this information of this thing looking like a mechanical man, uh, something wearing a suit of armor, and that was actually a very close representation of what this thing looked like. A sketch artist on the show We the People, where Kathleen May had appeared with Ailey Stewart, the reporter, and Gene Lemon, the other adult witness who saw this, this figure, he drew an incorrect drawing of this particular being. And he made it look like uh, a monster with bulging eyes, a big pumpkin head wearing this hooded cloth garment over over the top and something similar to like a cloaked robe. When Kathleen was trying to describe what the lower torso looked like, with the um, pipes intermittently going around the lower circumference. The nearest thing she could think of was the pleats in a skirt or the drapes hanging in her living room. Do you understand what I mean? Equally mm-hmm. spaced? Yep. And they were rolled. Well, he took that literally and put it in a dress. And the, the antennas, what they what the witnesses described as like antennas, they look almost like little hands that were sticking out of the shoulders. Pedro went to Big Arms and Scary Claws.
2: It looked like somebody's aunt.
4: Yeah, it, it was really ridiculous. And for all of these years, this one particular drawing, because of one artist, had screwed this story up. Unbelievable. While being an illustrator from Paris School of Art, I had an intense training in illustration. Sure. I sat down with the witnesses for years, and we did sketches together drew these sketches i did them with kathleen i did them with freddie i had talked to some of the other different witnesses over the years and we went from like thumbnail sketches a couple times i actually handed the, the pencil to kathleen and she really couldn't draw so she would do little sketches and freddie did a pretty good sketch and then i went in and i drew one next to it and they say, you know, a little bit of this, a little more of that, it was a little taller, it was a little wider at the base, blah, blah, blah. And then we went into a comprehensive drawing from a thumbnail, and then we did the final um, drawings, and that's what I based my illustrations on. And they said that's about as close as what they remember what it was. So it was actually a metallic structure. Yeah. What happened as far as the being green and the green monster, it was, uh, the, the, it was a metallic structure. So this thing reflected the the environment around, it, and it was green.
2: Okay, and just I'll just remind everyone that those illustrations are, are on BehindTheParanormal.com, dot the talking points section for twenty ten shows. I, we should have I should have had to move it up to the 2012 ones, but <coughs> excuse me. Uh, people would like to see those uh, the the uh, illustrations Frank is referring to are, are available online. I'm sorry, Frank. Go ahead.
4: So that's where the green monster came into it. Okay, and, it, it, it and because, th- that and, was and how. It reflected was so... the green around it because it was yeah. not like a chrome, but like a shiny aluminum-type chrome. And this thing lit up. Uh, the witnesses all said that when this thing was in a dormant state, and when they saw the eyes, they didn't know what they were. The eyes were about 12 feet in the air. That's how big this thing was. And it was actually sitting on the ground. All of this sulfur smoke was pouring out this mist. And it was at dusk when the sighting happened and Kathleen and Lemon had flashed their flashlight towards the direction of the woods, towards this oak, white oak tree. It was set about four feet off the path, up a little inclination. And they thought it was the eyes of an animal at first. And they were like, what the heck else is going to be eyes 12 feet up in the air? Yeah. And when they shine the lights and it hit the figure, it actually hit the head area. And Mrs. May... It said it lit up from the inside. And so I was very adamant about questioning her. It's like, so this thing was in a dormant state. The eyes were were, were dormant. They were like, a, she said, like a funny uh, orange-green color. And when she hit the flashlight on it, the thing lit up from the inside. And um, the witnesses had spoke to me over the years, and they kind of compared what happened. It's like if you were in your car at night, and it's pitch black and you start it up and all the lights come out in your dashboard whether it be green or orange yeah and it illuminates the interior that's what this was described as I see. well we're gonna we have to take another
2: break uh, here we're with our guest Frank Passchino on behind the paranormal with Paul and Benino on CBS New Sky Radio and newskyradio.com we'll be right
0: back. New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com and Psychic Radio, PsychicOnAir.com. Powered by CBS Radio, AOL and Yahoo is unlike any talk radio station with a mission to improve the world one listener at a time. This is where you can be the star of your own show. Our listeners are truly unique, truly interactive, and passionate about their world. The Sky and Psychic Radio listeners genuinely care about the environment, social justice, their personal health, and raising people up to live their best life every day. Our motto is New Horizons. No boundaries. New age views, life coaching, psychic analysis, alternative medicine, and cutting-edge mind, body, and spirit shows can all be found on the sky and Psychic Radio. Perhaps you have what it takes to join our broadcast family. An open mind, a great idea, and a passion for enriching lives. Check out all the exciting details by clicking the microphone on our homepage at newskyradio.com or give Lisa Rodman a call at 248-546-9600 to learn just how affordable it can be to host a show.
1: Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. NewSkyRadio.com.
2: Welcome back. And our guest this evening is Frank Ficino, Jr., who is the author of the revised edition of The Braxton County Monster, his his book about the uh, very strange... Apparently, UFO incidents that occurred uh, certainly all over the East Coast and particularly in the Flatwoods area of West Virginia. Now, Frank um, Ben, did you want to continue? Or I had a couple of questions. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, one of the things that's always struck me about this case, and and this is with, with the greatest respect to, to all the work you've done, with you know, which is, of course, head and shoulders above anything we ever could have done. Um, it, this has always struck me as a very unusual UFO case in that it seems so terrestrial in the sense of exhaust fumes and Mm -hmm. machinery of that kind and uh, having to look for, you know, it just, what say you on that? It just, it it seems unusual among UFO cases for that reason. It just doesn't strike me as really alien. It
4: it is very unique. The, the alien picture comes into effect of what actually happened the following night, and that's what pulled the whole story together. Okay, um, tell us 20, about that. 24 hours after the um, Flatwoods Monster incident happened, well, let me back up a step. I was able to track the craft once the encounter happened. The so-called monster got back in its craft, and it took off, and it went down the Elk River. It flew and landed on James Knoll, about 17 miles away. Well, what nobody had ever pieced together, because there wasn't that much documentation on this story, it was one particular story, one article, about a fellow that was with his wife and their 18-month-old babies, George Natowski from New York, his wife Edith, and the kid. They were from New York. They had went to Ohio to visit some relatives and they came back through the scenic route uh, coming through the central part of the state. They were going through Braxton County, and that's when their nightmare began. They came into the area of Town, right in the same vicinity where this thing had landed the night before, and the car stalled. The electrical system went dead. The car, he steered the car over onto the side of the road. And uh, at that point, the area started to fill up with this sulfur smell, just like what was noticed in Flatwoods the night before. The whole area was engulfed with this sulfur uh, mist. The babies started coughing and gagging. They had to roll all the windows up. George Santowski thought there was a factory in the area that was burning off waste, and they smelled this sulfur smell. It was pretty terrible. He jumps out of his car He's fumbling around with the battery under the hood, and he can't get the car started. And it was a fairly new battery. He got back into the car. They're trying to figure out what to do, and he's trying to start it. The ignition won't turn. And out in the distance, he saw something that was an ovoid shape, it was an elliptical-shaped object. And from that direction, a wavering beam hit the front of their car with, like, a purplish light and he said it was wavering and it went across the windshield he got out of the car and he proceeded towards this thing and it was sitting out in the woods in train town and as he started approaching this he started getting low voltage electrical shocks going through his body like millions of little pins like a yeah. puncher pins going through him. and he had to back off from it uh he started coughing and gagging because the sulfur smell was getting worse. It was permeating through the area. Uh, he turned around. He started heading back towards the car, and he leaned up against a tree, and he started to vomit all over the place. It really caught up with him. As he's heading back towards the car, his wife is inside the vehicle. She had rolled the window down, and she's screaming bloody murder to her husband, George. Look out. It's behind you. And he turned around, and he said about 30 feet off to his right was this gigantic figure. He said it was a good nine feet tall. It had a gigantic head. And from the neck area down to the waist was a bloated body. It had long, skinny arms. And it didn't have four digits and a thumb. It just had two fingers. And he said they were long spindly arms with these long skinny fingers. And this thing is sitting there and it's hovering. What it basically was, was the Flatwoods monster with the upper portion of its space suit off. Because Natowski said the whole bottom was one big solid mass figure and of the figure, and this is where the sulfur was that they were getting sick from, where he thought oh, there was yeah. a factory. So it's sitting off to the side of the road, and it's hovering there, and it starts moving towards them. Uh, I actually spoke to George Sotowski on the phone years ago before he passed away. I um, sent him some research, and I called him, and we talked for a little bit. And the only interview he ever did was the one that appeared... And this article in 1955, it was called The West Virginia Monster, and Paul Lieb actually did the interview. And when I spoke to him, you know, I wanted to make sure it was him. Even though he had an oddball name, I had to ask him anyways. And he said, yeah, that was me. He went into a little bit of detail about what had actually happened, and he said everything that he said to Paul Lieb was absolutely 100% true. It was the most terrifying moment of his life. This thing moved towards him, and he started running towards his car. He was so nervous he could hardly open up the door handle. His wife's screaming like a banshee. The baby's going nuts, and this whole area is getting filled up with this smell. He jumped in the car, rolled the window up, and they had taken the baby. Edith took the baby and brought the baby towards the front of the car. The baby was in a, a crib in the back seat. No baby seats in 52. Yeah. <laughs> took the baby, and George pushed them down onto the ground onto the passenger side he was laying over them protecting them he had reached and grabbed a big giant hunting knife from the um, glove box he's laying over the top this thing is moving towards the car what it had actually done is it approached the front of the car it was to his right the the creature was moving towards its left and the car is on the side of the road it came up to the hood of the car. It actually went around the right side of the car, went around the back bumper, and came up and circled around. And they weren't even looking up at this point, but the area is getting engulfed with this mist, this fog. And after a couple minutes, he finally looked up. He, he says his heart was, was uh, thumping like a sledgehammer. And I remember he he said in the article, and when we talked, he mentioned it. If, if ever I prayed in my life this time, I was praying, something like that. Well, he looked up over the dashboard, and as he lifted his eyes above and looked through the windshield, this thing was looking down at him. It was in front of the car, up by the hood arm in the front of the grill, and it's staring down at him. And he almost had a stroke right there at the point. And it actually leaned over the car, and it stuck its arm out, and Smithowski says it touched the hood of the car. And when it touched the hood of the car, it actually burnt through the paint and the primer. Huh. The skin did. And some reptiles will actually do that.
2: So uh, reptiles?
4: Acid, yes. Yeah, some reptiles will actually secrete an acid.
2: That and, brings up uh, a whole series of questions.
4: It went out towards the woods, and a few minutes later, after it disappeared, the crap that he saw that was sitting there lifted up, cleared the the trees, the tops of the trees, and he said it started swinging in a pendulum-type motion, back and forth, back and forth, which was common. There's been tons of sightings, a lot of data on on that particular maneuver, and it shot off. Well, um, Ivan Sanderson had been up to one of the crash sites in Sugar Creek. And that's a whole other story. Well, Sanderson actually found um, samples of this coiled up uh, material and it was sent to Monsanto Chemicals in Charleston, West Virginia. And they did a whole battery of tests on it. And in the end, it was some type of a snakeskin and uncoiled. It kind of looked like a party bow on New Year's. It was all coiled up. And they softened it up by putting it in water, and it stretched out, and it was gigantic pieces of snake skin. And he made a comment about maybe they were uh, giant snakes or reptiles. Interesting. And uh, between the – we have the actual evidence here. We don't know what happened to it, but we have Sanderson talking about he found that at the Sugar Creek crash site. And then – From the descriptions of Snatowski and me talking to him, the thing was basically some type of a gigantic reptilian. And what I did is I did side-by-side drawings, and Snitowski said it was a good 9 feet tall. The Flatwoods Monster was nearly 12 feet tall, somewhere between 10 and 12. And the original documentation in the papers, and then from working with the witnesses, and talking to Stewart, and he remembered a lot of details of what they had said, and we did sketches together and whatnot. If you put a helmet, an outer helmet, over the uh, path, I'm afraid I have to okay. interrupt you
2: again, Frank. We have to yeah. take another break. Uh, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, and we're talking with Frank Vicino about the Flatwoods Monster. We'll be right back.
1: Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New Horizons, no boundaries.
5: He wakes up in the morning Does his teeth bite to eat on these rolling. It Never changes a thing.
1: CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe.
2: Well, we're back with our guest Frank Foschino, and we're having a fascinating conversation about the uh, so-called Flatwoods Monster, Braxton County Monster, which uh, Frank has found uh, to his satisfaction was really an alien craft, perhaps of uh, the reptilian variety. I, these are some things I'd never heard before. Um, Frank, I was going to ask you, uh, did any before you told us? Did anyone actually see this leave? A lot of people saw it arriving. There are records of it coming across uh, air lanes and things like this and landing on this mountain and then being seen the next day. But you just mentioned that that, 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 that that was the takeoff point seemingly the next day. What happened in between the two nights? Didn't anyone go back up the mountain to see what was going on? Or were the, were the maze too, too frightened or had it left that area? What exactly was the uh Well, what happened after the, the touchdown
4: in, in Flatwoods and Ailey Stewart went up there, he, he represented the police department because the state police were out of the area and the local sheriff, Eric Carr, he was running around like a nut, chasing what was was said to be crashed Piper Cub planes. And there wasn't any uh, Piper Cubs. What it was was just saying craft that was puddle jumping and moving across Braxton County. Uh, the one that came in with with the Flatwoods creature, when that touched down, the encounter occurred. It went back in the craft, and it took off, and it flew into the deep mountains of Flame It landed way the heck up on the top of James Knob. It was seen by several different witnesses. But you're talking the Appalachian mountains, not easy access to no, get no. up there, you know. And it's like and some of the people just thought, oh, it was a meteor. Something landed up there. They didn't know. They weren't going to, you know, I wouldn't go up there and through up in those mountains at night. And I've been up there at night, and it's pretty spooky up there, believe me. But this was at a high point of uh, James Knoll, and um, several people did see it, you know, but they didn't know what it was. At the time, oh, it's a meteor, it's a shooting star. Well, let, know, let
2: me ask you this, by. Frank. Uh, unlike the Kecksburg, Pennsylvania incident where something came down and the Army's all over it, how come the military wasn't all over this or were they
4: they went up there that night i interviewed colonel dale levet uh, he was the head of the national guard for west virginia in 1952 and i had the exclusive interview with Levitt. he was actually up on flat up at flatwoods later that night with about 60 guys they cordoned off the area they went in and they collected debris, the uh, the oil that was leaking that had splattered and hit the front of Mrs. May. So there was a military presence with guys running around with guns. It was very covert. Oh. Um, that was not known. By the time Levitt got up there with all of his troops, it was gone. This thing was, was gone, you know, shortly after the incident, and then it was seen going across into uh, the Frametown area. And... We still don't know what happened to the craft. Maybe the military did get it. I don't know because this thing was damaged with pieces falling off of it all over the, all across the United States. Or yeah, the reptilian like skin that. we were
2: talking about. You know, right, we, we don't you know, know what that, happened to that either.
4: Yeah, maybe maybe it'll turn up in, uh, in in a box, someplace with Sanderson's books. You know, whoever yeah. has his his uh, collection. I don't know. But it was known and tested in Monsanto Chemical
2: Company. Uh, well, Frank, I'm afraid we're, we're out of time. We've, we didn't even get through half our questions. We'll have to have you back on this. It's always a pleasure. Uh, but we wanted to give you a chance to talk about your book and your website. Where can people get it? And I understand you're appearing in uh, in Charleston to for the official unveiling of the book in West Virginia.
4: Yeah, um I'm going to be there next weekend at the Charleston Civic Center at the West Virginia Book Festival, and Larry Bailey, or Brothers Bailey Promotions, is handling my appearance. I'm going to be present with Alfred Lemberg from UFO Magazine, and he contributed uh, the back review for the the revised edition book. And we're also going to have as a special guest, uh, Johnny Barker, who worked at a radio station in Charleston the night where all of this stuff was going on, it's September really? 12th, and he subsequently went up there and actually looked into the area, reported on it, investigated for the news station, and he's going to be there with us. I'm going to be having uh, a, a lot of my original um, pieces of maps and my research and notes, and I'm going to have all of this on display. We're going to have a double booth set up. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a lot of stuff there, a lot of cool things. And uh it'd be something that uh that's going to be rare to get all of us together in the same place.
2: So that's, that's
4: uh um, yeah. that's next weekend. Any information's on my website.
2: Okay, which is flatwoodsmonster.com. Right. Right. And the book, or where can people get the book?
4: Uh off of flatwoodsmonster.com, it's a self-published book, lulu.com. But if you go to flatwoodsmonster.com, the first thing there right on my uh, homepage is information about it, where to purchase yeah. it.
5: Yeah,
2: I really would recommend it. It's um, um, a very, very interesting book. I'm just uh, reading reading it now, and uh, it's, I really recommend it. It's, it's terrific. Okay, Frank, I guess uh, we'll be we'll be talking to you. Good luck next, uh, next okay, weekend. Okay, thank you, we'll guys. Be in touch, yes. uh, be in touch off you. there Thanks for joining us.
3: Okay. Great Talk to soon back. Back. Good one. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Frank right. Fischino, everyone. All right, so we have a plethora of announcements. So my dad and I will be featured speakers at the All Hallows Eve Psychic Fair at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island on Sunday, October 28th. And watch more info on these events and more at www.behindtheparanormal.com.
2: And uh, Frank is not the only one who's written a few books. Uh, yours truly has as well. Uh, ben and I are thinking about writing one together soon.
3: Once uh, we get the other book out, that was yeah. Once we get the other on. book
2: out, that's three years late. Hey, give me a break. I, I, I'm writing radio scripts all the time. That's anyway, true. you can access my books: Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, and Turning Home: God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. My last three on this subject. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Look, and Kindle as well. Amazon Kindle, and websites. Of course, you can buy them at, or contact us through, or find out about guests and all sorts of things at behindtheparanormal.com.
3: All right, so many thanks to our producer, uh, Brandon Jackson, and we will see you right here next week, October 14th, when my dad, uh, when my dad and I will welcome back uh, someone we haven't heard from in a very long time. Well, we seem to be doing that a lot lately. Yeah, well, it's an old home month uh, yeah, here. <laughs> uh, Hollywood producer, author, paranormal investigator, and psychic Jack Rook. Uh, the subject of his new book, The Rational Psychic. I can't wait to hear that. in <laughs> my Yeah, two- me neither tune into our Boston Providence drive time show on WOON 1240 am and ONWorldwide.com at 6pm eastern time every monday and don't forget you can always get free podcasts of all our shows and we have nearly 400 of them now at www.behindtheparanormal.com
2: and tomorrow night show will be a rebroadcast we will not be live
3: unfortunately well that's because of autumn fest but yeah we, the, the local right we could here. do it live we really wanted to but it's really obnoxious and plus No, no, not in that venue.
2: We'll let people wait for lectures. Yes. Anyway, we'll leave you this evening with a thought from the great John Lennon. Quote, when I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I told them, happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment. And I told them they didn't understand life.
3: Wow. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. and We will see you next time.